Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. It's far too hot, isn't it? Well, at least we're not having to sit in a council chamber with um, with 39 other people, or more than 39 other people next week. Cool, yeah. I, I mean, I look at it at the moment. I mean, those who are watching live are blessed because I've finally decided to put a shirt on, which was not my primary arrangements for most of the day. And if I look at... Um, if I was looking forward to Tuesday... Now, I don't know what the air conditioning's like in the council chamber, but I'm going to guess unspectacular. I think it involves opening the windows. Oh, which, if outside of the window, the temperature is the same as a cream of mushroom soup, then, oh, oh. So yes, we're we're although there's a slightly end of term feel about the uh, about the timing of our show, as I think uh, Parliament rises Tuesday week, and this is the last full council meeting before the holidays. Rather than them agreeing to sit down and watch a a nice film like Toy Story for a couple of hours, as you might hope, instead it's a monster of an agenda. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, as you say, the last one before they're all going on a summer holiday. Um, and uh, yeah, so 13 items on the agenda paper, um, as well as an extraordinary meeting ahead of the full, just before the full council about um, appointing some aldermans uh, to the city. But yeah, so 13 items on the full council agenda um, and 11 items in 11 notices of motion. So there are 11 motions. Wow. That's midnight, that isn't it? That is, that they ain't getting out. They're not getting out Tuesday, I don't reckon. Well, we could um, we could perhaps run a run a book on not that we have a um, a gambling license, but um, or or indeed any prizes to give anybody if they get it right. But if someone wants to make a guess as to how long they think the council uh, council meeting will go, um, we'll happily encourage that whimsical guess. Absolutely. Um, so we are going to attempt to save our listeners the, the pain and the agony of watching the whole thing live by rattling through the, all 11 motions in an hour, giving our our insightful wisdom, and um, we we'll, might have a little muse as to whether they will pass or fail. But um, yeah, you've got the list, um, A through that to whatever like- the 11th of the hour. <laughs> I was going to say that sounds like the, that sounds like the start of a pet shop boys. You've got the list. Yeah, I've got I've the looks. Got... Let's well, yeah, possibly Let's not. Let's pull lots of listeners. Um, so yes, so uh, yes, so the first motion uh, that we've got, so um, A is about North End Bank. So this is from the Lib Dems. It's from Councillor Lee Hunt and Jason Frizzackley. Um basically on the back of residents' position, uh, petition asking the cabinet to write to banks and ask them to send representatives to a meeting with local councillors, trade representatives and regeneration officers um, to discuss the situation at North End doesn't have any banks and calling on uh, Penny Morden to raise that with ministers. Yeah, I, I again, this is an odd one because uh, J- Jason Fazakley, friend of the pod, and Lee Hunt, very decent fellow. Um, but this seems like madness to me. I don't understand why you're trying to, you know, banks have the option to open and close their branches where they choose, where there might be footfall. And um, I actually tried, we tried this week to give our custom to a small independent shop in North End. And uh, I, I say try. We got there in the end, um, having driven down there um, and driven round and round and round for 15, 20 minutes. Not ideal for the climate. Um, couldn't park, so drove away again. Um, in the end, had to send two people down the next day, um, pulled into a bus stop, threw the person out, um, and they went and did the business while the other person drove round and round. So I, I kind of... You know, I do struggle in terms of, well, how are you going to make North End, you know, if you can't, you know, if people can't park and can't get there, the footfall is going to be low. So trying to persuade a bank to open a bank where nobody goes, surely a song in that, um, futile gesture for me. Okay, um, I 
I find it interesting, and when we come to one later on about um, which was the motion about um, Hillsley Community Centre, it's interesting that this one leads with it's about um, a, a petition led by residents. So it, you know, this is saying it's it's being driven by a community need that's that's documented. Um, but again, I I I I don't know whether whether. Because the problem is, is that no one bank is going to see enough custom to need to have one open. And really, surely some sort of solution would be whether that would be the post office or whether that would be a shared entity, that there was a um, a physical presence of a bank. Um, but that, that, that was actually a physical outlet that people could use regardless of which which bank they banked mm. with. Because um, rather than having one for whatever the slew of four to six different high street banks, or we call them high street banks as a misnomer these days, don't we? Because they're not really on the high street anymore. Um, but you don't need a NatWest. You don't need a Santander. Yep. You don't need a, you know, you, you don't need all of those other ones. So, you know, you just need so, you just need somewhere where um, traders can come in and, and cash in coin, uh, cut some coins for anybody that's using cash these days. And for those that either don't like to or aren't able to, for various reasons to use internet banking can come in and make deposits and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, to me, I, I don't know that the solution is within the power of the, of the local council. Absolutely. So we have a look at um, motion B, um, which is around the cost of living crisis, which has been tabled by uh, Susie Orton and Steve Pitt. Um, now, this is one of those ones where, and I think this applies to quite a few, and when we were doing the pre-production meeting, yes, listeners, we do some pre-production meetings. So that we actually we do just, some planning. I know yeah, we actually shocked. do some planning. Um, there's almost an element of, of this motion has got so much politicised language in it from the Lib Dems that it's very difficult to read it and sort through what it is you're actually asking for um, because it, it it's kind of a, a sort of stream of consciousness about the rising cost of fuel and the inflationary pressures and pressures on households and the rise in the the um, rate of, of national insurance brackets, which I find very strange, you know, owing to the fact it's a Lib Dem policy to have a hypothecated tax to pay for the um, the uh, social care and the NHS, obviously income tax, not national insurance. But anyway, now's not the right time to be doing that. So there's a whole list of bad things that the government have done, good things that the local council have done. Um, and in essence, the motion asks the council to ask the government to give them lots more money so that they can do more good things to offset the dreadful things that the government is doing. Have I missed anything critical from the motion there, Simon, or is my slightly um, cheeky paraphrasing covered the main points? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I found it interesting that if I hadn't have told you who it came from, I, I suspect that you wouldn't have guessed who it Oh no, no! It had it, it it had the Labour team written all over it. it. You know, it was we call upon the council to tell the government they smell bad. Um, perhaps they wouldn't have been quite so complimentary about the actions of the local council. Um, but again, this this was this was one that was mild in mired in politics speak. Um, and and when you tried, took all of that away, it was that. You know, I, I'm sure many many councils would like to ask the government for some more money. Um, in fact, I'm fairly sure that everybody would like to ask the government for some more money. Um, but I'm not sure that, that yeah. I mean, I have to say these are all, um, you know, personally, these are all policies that I think are, these requests are all kind of sound and reasonable. But it's the sort of thing that you and I have discussed before that councils ask for um, that you know, essentially, I, I mean, I'm, I'm presuming that they land in an in-tray somewhere in Whitehall and someone goes, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Files yeah. it, un files but, it yeah. under R. So, um, you know, so from a kind of from from that kind of perspective, it's a, it's an it's an Oliver motion, isn't it? In the sense, I'm going to call it an Oliver motion. Yeah, please, sir. Can I have some more? More? Yeah. More? Um, but uh, yeah. you know, the it, it it was asking for you know things like um, um, windfall uh, tax on um, oil and gas to give six hundred pound off per household um, for energy bills, reviewing the energy cap for court prices, investing more money. So there's quite a slew of things. It talks okay. about reducing VAT, but not specifically about, because VAT on, on energy is 5%. 
So I'm surprised that actually reducing the VAT on energy was wasn't in there rather than just the plain VAT. So there's lots of things lots of things in there, but they're they're almost general election. Yes, and because it's things like the, the tax on energy companies. You know, if you remember, uh, Boris wasn't going to do it. Rishi wasn't going to do it. We're not going to do it. It's unconservative. And then when they announced the, you know, the first six hundred and twenty-four pounds, um, three hundred and twenty-four pounds for the six hundred and fifty that went into eight million households, five million of that was raised. Five billion rather was raised by an additional tax on the oil and gas companies. So. There is a little bit of of we yeah, but of... I think the I think the way that Sunak enacted that though gave so many loopholes that it's possible that 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 actual windfall levy that they've raised won't actually raise the amount of money that they're that they're certainly lining up to spend. Oh no! So, I mean, it, to um, be fair, they were transparent. It was only five of the twenty-one billion that this um <laughs> the, this yeah. package so, is going to cost. So yeah, yeah. I mean, in the interest of time, it, it all very noble. Um, but, um, no, but this is one that I think, I think could, because there's so much in it. I think there could be an awful lot of talking on this one before eventually, uh, will it get past? I think it probably will. Cause I think the yellows and the reds will go for it. The blues will go against who knows what the independents will do. Um, I think that's the way. Yeah, this one's I, I think it's going to get passed. There's going to be lots of uh, talk about it. There'll probably be an amendment thrown in or, or two, maybe. I don't know. I didn't actually. Um, I should have refreshed to see whether there are any amendments on there. But um, yeah, I think it's going to get passed just because of um, if you look at the the, the seats that are progressives uh, within the council, um, then you know they have the overall majority uh, between them. So uh, so that was B on to C. So. C was that oh my little thing hasn't come up on the screen there we go so cross-border licensing so this is the first of um, a couple of motions that have come from the Portsmouth Independence Party yep. um, th this one from Madrick and Madrick I mean they, they sound like a firm of solicitors but they're not no. um, so um, it raises the interesting point that with regards to taxis and private hire vehicles Local authorities can only control um, the licenses that they actually issue, but they've got no way of stopping people who have licenses issued in other areas from operating within their jurisdiction. Uh, the motion talks about, um, for example, people using licenses that were issued nearly 200 miles away to operate in Portsmouth, and Portsmouth City Council are pretty much powerless to do anything uh, about those. And whereas our council requires the licenses, um, sorry, the, the um, parties who it, uh, issues licenses to to install CCTVs in their vehicles, whereas other local authorities might not be doing that. So that, that local authority is effectively coining in a bit of money to pay for the license. Yep. And then that taxi driver is is operating in, a, in another city um, without kind of really any recourse. And what the motion pretty much says, um, asks for the chair of the licensing committee to... Um, to get in touch with um, the two city MPs and the Secretary of State for Transport and to call for the Department of Transport to review this current loophole and um, uh, and sort it out and make licensing a local matter. Well, I think I think there's an omission in this. Okay. Which not, is that... Not, em not, not emissions. No, an omission. Which, oh, okay. is, which is that... Um, so Portsmouth Council... Now, this is a bit... This is a bit taxi nerd moment. They issue the Hackney carriage licenses, which mm -hmm. is your your taxi. You can only stop and pick somebody up off of the street hailing a cab if you are a Hackney carriage driver. If you're a private hire vehicle, you can only pick somebody up if they call you or they tap the app. So... In terms of, you know, so if, if somebody has driven down from West Bromwich and they're picking people up off of ranks or off of the street, they are effectively breaking the law. Now, I guess where the grey area comes is with the large chains such as Uber. Um, it, and I don't know how their platform works, whether they've got drivers who can, you know, drive down into Portsmouth to look for more lucrative work so I, I think there is an element of i'm not sure the whole story is being told here but again i i 
I, this is another one where again it's 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 right to somebody and ask them to do something but i'm not entirely sure what they're being asked to do you know because it is a local matter you know portsmouth portsmouth city council limits the number of hackney carriage licenses that it issues and it limits the number of private hire licenses that it issues but it but it can't stop cars entering the city who've been issued licenses elsewhere and can't manage those uh, um, those vehicles with, to which licenses have been issued so it's a not getting any any control of that and i'm presuming there's actually a um you know actually you actually pay for the license so my, my apologies yeah, taxi drivers for us not researching that but you know that's also um the council aren't getting the the revenue stream of of being able to uh you know to be able to manage that um but the motion to me the motion is calling out and saying effectively the existing legislation doesn't do the job yep. because it doesn't allow the local council control over the vehicles that enters its area um, and to me that although it, it's not within the council's power to gain the ability to manage those licenses that is something that central government are going to have to change um, but to me that's I think that's actually a you know a perfectly reasonable thing because it's saying we've got this issue it causes a problem for the city um, but we don't have the power to deal with it so can we have the power please well but I guess there's and this is where for me the powers become a little bit so if I've if I've got off of the train at haven't mm-hmm and I've jumped in a haven't licensed hackney carriage that's outside haven't station and I get it to drive me to South sea mm-hmm. then at what point and, and again you know if they if the after they've dropped me off at South sea they see somebody looking for a cab and offer to run them from South sea to um north end then they are they're breaking the rules they're not allowed to do that. So I think the challenge with it is it's a noble arrangement, but how you enforce it, you know, with a big city like Portsmouth where, you know, people may well taxi in from outside of the limits of the city, that that's the bit for me which I haven't quite got my head around, you know, how they but, uh, expect to police but, that. But that- but but that I think that's what the motion's calling for. It's calling for the uh, the Department of Transport to review the loophole to be able to try to close that issue so that you don't have one set of rules in the issuing local authority area ah. and another set of rules in the local authority area where the business is being conducted. That's that's the issue. Um, George Magic has popped into the popped into the chat saying that there's somewhere around fifty plus drivers registered in Wolverhampton driving in our city. So when you, you when you think about that, that's it's not um, on the way. Yeah. I've got funnily enough today. I was trying to book a hotel in Wolverhampton, um, which isn't as easy as you might think. Maybe well, if, if your taxi to... driver, yeah, if your taxi driver is taking you on the way from Haven train station to Wolverhampton, no, no, uh, no, I think they're, they're, they're no. swinging you for a lead, mate. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, let, let's see how this one plays out. I, I, I think you know, again, this is, the, and and again, if that that means that they're they're you know they're, they're registered in in Wolverhampton, but they're working in the city. Um, you know, on a platform, you know, on a national platform, then yet that's an area where that does need to be, um, that's an area that does need to be looked at. Okay. So, pesticides. Yeah, pesticides um, um, brought to the council by Charlotte Gerarda and... Judy Smythe. Judith Smythe. See, I was I was struggling there for a minute because my screen reader read it out as Smith. Now, I am certain that Jeanette Smith, uh, formerly of Baffins Ward um, and the People's Progressive um, Portsmouth Group, um, she raised this two years ago, and I remember it because we had her on the podcast. So this is one of those ones where I think when we looked at it at the time, and again, without wishing to go back through history, everyone seemed to agree it was a jolly good idea. So the thing that the thing that I kind of am a bit puzzled about with, with this motion is that it's the same as one that passed a couple of years ago. So is there something subtly different that we haven't we haven't worked out from the motion? Or is this just a case of, oh, for Christ's sake, we said we'd do this. Can we just get on with it, please? Um, without without us having a comment from the administration, uh, if I'm honest, it feels like the latter. 
Um, so, I mean, the motion is um, there's lots of um, there's lots of references uh, and call outs as to why this is the right and good thing from a point yep. of view of um, it's impacting the the lives of not just the, the workers actually um, treating these areas, but also the residents um, and also affecting the biodiversity in Portsmouth at a time when we're when we're supposedly trying to uh, be encouraging that. Um, but as you say, yeah, it, it was um, it was brought to full council in October 2021. If memory serves, wasn't it brought before in the aborted meeting that had to be stopped because one uh, because the then council, uh, conservative council group leader then suddenly realised that he'd actually been tested positive for COVID, um, and then had to abort the meeting. I th I've got a funny feeling it was one of the things on the ticket that day, but. Either way, it was brought to the council in October 2021 and the report came to cabinet in March 2022 um, and, and effectively, um, you know, working on the working to minimise um, use of pesticides um, and be pesticide free wherever possible. Um, but essentially, this is kind of saying, well, not enough has happened. And why is that kind of not happening? And could you please go away and look at it and come back with what the alternatives are and your reason for not choosing an alternative can't just be about the cost. You're, I guess what, what the motion is effectively kind of saying, if your risk assessment of the chemicals that are being used, you can't just be using cost. You've also got to have, uh, you know, the health in it, the health, uh, the health concerns as part of of part of that risk assessment surely so uh yeah so it's calling on that calling for a report to cabinet um within the next uh six months and an update biannually from the from the council leader um and involving local uh community groups um about stopping pesticide use and trialing and involving them in, in trialing other methods of um of dealing with weeds and and committing to phasing out the phasing out these harmful uh, chemicals o over the next three years. So it's not saying stop them all by next week. It's saying, yeah, and, actually, and to be fair, really uh, patiently, despite actually how little seems to have changed in the in the length of time, it's saying could we look at this again because we don't seem to be getting anywhere. And I can't say I can think of any other response no. other than why aren't we there yet? No, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll defer that it was only October twenty-one. I thought it was much longer ago than that, but um, but uh, no. Um, moving on, because I think we all universally agree. You know, let's not let's not kill people with pesticides. Um, which brings us on to our second motion by the Portsmouth Independents. This one tabled by David Simpson and I believe Madgwick the Younger. Um, which is that Hilsey does not have a community centre, and it calls upon the administration to 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 try and identify one um uh, yeah I um russell oh sorry was it Go russell on. sorry yeah russell simpson know. yeah no my apologies russell i've i've got my simpsons the wrong way around i am having a a first name mayor today so um yeah i'm this one simon i kind of it's a very short motion i, I you know and i've probably paraphrased it a bit but there's an element of the bit that I, the bit that's missing for me with this is, is one about the identification of need. You know, it's it's true to say that Hilsey doesn't have a community centre, um, but there are groups that meet in Hilsey. So there's an element of, you know, you want to have a dedicated community centre. I, I guess there's the there's the cost of setting one up and running one, and and for me the demand's got to be there, hasn't it? which this motion doesn't seem to identify. Um, uh, um, if there were prizes given for brevity, I think it would win on that. Um, yeah. Because it, it, you know, it is literally a, a, a four-line a four motion. Um, but yeah, in contrast to the, uh, to the earlier motion from the Lib Dems, it doesn't say that it's raising this issue on the back of um, residents calling for it or there being some sort of petition. Um, obviously, um, this will be something that the, the you know the PRP perhaps have identified in their in the canvassing and, and speaking to voters that there's a need. Um, I'm just thinking with my kind of project organisation hat on. I'm thinking if you were trying to if you're trying to purchase or set up any purchase a building or set up any structure or organisation, your starting point is can we find a, isn't can we find a location? Your your starting point is is there a need? What's mm. the budget? Then you start finding a location. Because 
there's no point doing anything if there isn't a clear a clear a clear need and you can't really do anything unless you've got unless you've got a budget so unless there's something bubbling away there unless there's you know i don't i don't know what's in the seal pot money so the community infrastructure levy for for hillsey or what you know whether that's kind of what they're going on but it to me that and i think there's a an electioneering flavor oh. in lots of these motions but I, I think this is a this is an early May local election electioneering, perhaps. That is how it feels to me. It's that you know, I I, I think I can already see it on a on an independence leaflet now, which says the Portsmouth Independence called for a community centre for your community, and the evil Tories voted against it. So um, hmm. yeah, I'm there's a, a need for it. There's a need for it, right? That's the that's the key question, but. Perhaps there is. It's just that the motion doesn't claim, doesn't state that there is, or evidence it. No, so no, not not happy with that one. Right, okay. you're on the next one. So, GPs for the city. Yes. So, um, coming from Gerald Vernon Jackson and Matthew Winnington. So Portsmouth has one GP per um, just under two and a half thousand residents, um, which is. Um, uh, about double the ratio that um, places like Oxford have, um, so um, they have a much le you know much less much fewer sorry patients yep. um, residents per uh, per GP, um, and essentially the the, the motion is calling on the government and the cabinet for uh, Portsmouth to be included in a trial allowing allowing pharmacists to issue prescriptions, so yep. perhaps trying to take the GPs out of out of the bottleneck uh, for being able to gain access to medications, um, and for and to back Portsmouth City Council being able to directly employ uh, GPs themselves, um, uh, and then calling on the Secretary of State to provide suitable support to achieve those aims. Um, first one kind of think oh okay i mean i'm i'm not a medical practitioner i don't know what the risks about that would be but i'm presuming that someone has figured that that's a manageable risk and therefore that's something you know pharmacists do indeed go through lots of training it's not something they do off the back of a yeah a, a three minute youtube video um and uh but this but the second one um yeah that would be great if the city were solving that um they could probably start doing the same thing with dentists if they if there was a way to do it my question would be if if GP surgeries haven't been able to recruit GPs, are the city council going to be any more successful in recruiting them? Oh, and I think this is this this is an interesting motion for me, and I think that this is one to really kind of dig into because, you know, whereas we we're a little critical of the the previous motion because the 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 identification of need wasn't there, in the case of getting a GP appointment in Portsmouth, the the need is clear and evident. You know, the, the, the numbers don't lie. You know, the ratios are awful. You, you, you know, any kind of anecdotal experience of of trying to find a GP appointment is, you know, is, is incredibly difficult. You know, I know my own surgery um, should have five full-time GPs. Um, and currently it's got, I, I don't think it's actually got two FTEs. I think it's got one full-time and one... Um, that does just under part time, so you know th those those positions are there to be filled, um, and you know from from what I can see, evidentially they they just can't. You know there is a shortage of GPs nationwide, and you know you're in a position where th there are plenty of spaces for them, but there isn't a big cupboard full of GPs somewhere. So uh, to to your point, I I think you know there's an element of if the council could hire them, I kind of get that. But I guess what's the council going to do? Maybe this this talks to a motion we're going to come to later down the list. You know, hiring a GP is one thing. You know, putting them in a surgery with all the requisite equipment and infrastructure of you know receptionists and nurses and and you know all those great people that support the work of the gps it it, it, it that's an endeavor and a half and as we've already got those things sat about with locked offices with all the stuff in it just without a gp in it this almost strikes me as a oh is this another is this another gesture motion 
Um, I, d- I'm, I, I mean, I don't know. On the, on the flip side, if the council somehow have the ability to cross departments or press the levers of power that are, you know, preventing perhaps GPs wanting, uh, wanting jobs in the city, then, um, then maybe there are things that they can do that a practice on their own can't do. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess um, it's worth them trying. I just, I just kind of find it. Yeah, I, I get your point of: Are they talking about recruiting GPs to help them fill the vacancies in existing practices, mm. or are they talking about setting up their own practices? The motion doesn't say that, to be fair. Um, nope. And when when we were discussing the show, we had kind of considered inviting uh, people on, and um, uh, Matthew Winnington had uh, said that he was willing to actually come on and, and discuss it in a in a in a pre-recorded uh, segment. But we decided that in order to get through the whole agenda. By the time if we'd had several different people on that, that kind of makes it a bit harsher for us to kind of get through. And to be fair, most people will probably want to talk about the motions after the council meeting, after they've recovered um, and um, and kind of discuss them there. So uh, so our our door or our virtual window is is open for uh, for Councillor Winnington uh, next week to um, to tell us how we've got the wrong end of the stick on that one perhaps but yeah and it, it'll be great if they can it's obviously a, it's obviously a desperate need whether the council can be better at that than existing um than existing doctors uh doctor surgeries which interestingly enough are obviously despite the frontward facing of it being a no charging part of the nhs doctors surgeries are private businesses with the operating within the nhs yes so, yeah no no that and that's a really good point simon that i think most people don't realize in terms of you know well we've got standing against privatizing the nhs well actually we've been privatizing gp surgeries forever um they've always been a private business um and and yeah there's this is where you know again i i I do wonder whether the you know whether and again i've talked about the physical bricks and mortar building and you know all the stuff that goes with that you know, I guess in this post-pandemic era, all through the pandemic, you know, your your first port of call with your GP would have been a virtual, um, you know, a virtual kind of Zoom appointment. Um, mm-hmm. And again, if I go back probably 10, yeah, probably 10 years, um, my mum lived over in Gosport and Gosport has had a chronic shortage even worse than, than Portsmouth for well, for at least 10 years. And I know, you know, back in the day then, um, you know, it was pre-Zoom. But, um, yeah, you, you didn't get to see a GP in the flesh, as it were. It was all done by, your, you know, your first port of call was you got a telephone, um, you know, a telephone appointment. So I wonder whether, you know, this is a bigger question around the model changing. And I guess if, if Portsmouth City Council did have, you know, four GPs, sat working virtually that that people could access then you know that's another point it doesn't have to be a physical um, yeah uh, you know physical surgery does it that you know there are there are a wealth of different ways to look at it and maybe this is just a this is something we could do let's see if it works and maybe it will maybe it won't but you've got to do something i guess maybe i don't know let's see how it works and hear from matthew yes and and um and I think the you know back to your point on pharmacists, you know, I think many people don't you know don't recognise what advice a pharmacist can give, um, mm-hmm. you know, so perhaps wouldn't be thinking of of a pharmacist if there is you know if there is a a backlog in in GP appointments you can't get one. I think I think people tend to escalate, you know, whereas perhaps the pharmacist might be the first port of call. I think people tend to go. You know, can't get hold of my GP, um, so potentially can then end up going into the walk-in centre, and the walk-in centre then leads them to A and E, and we get a massive logjam there as well. So I think, yeah, cause I think we can definitely agree on in terms of whether this is a viable solution. Um, let's see how it goes. Hmm. Indeed. Um, and Lee Hunt, Lee Hunt joins the joins the chat to say uh, the same goes for dentists, police, and most nine 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 services. So. I don't think he means that Portsmouth City Council are talking about recruiting their own police officers, but I think he means that, you know, essentially most, you know, most face-to-face 
um, interactions with the public have disappeared over the last few yeah. years. But in the same, actually, as the first motion, they have for banks because people, how people interact and how people use services has changed. And therefore, these um, these tax paid services have have need will need to change their operating models. And perhaps we're seeing perhaps a bit of an evolution of that. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, yeah and, and I think that it's a valid it's a valid area to look at because, as you say, there is some parallels here. You know, again, I I, I find the whole, you know, the whole there needs to be a physical bricks and mortar bank thing to be. I find that a sort of very strange kind of situation because I I, I can't think what I would do in a bank that I can't do by telephone or by internet or by, you know, and I get digital exclusion. I, I do get those things, but, um, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, am I going to go and cash a check? And I guess if you're a, if you're a trader that deals in cash, yes, you're going to want to do that. But I'm guessing if you're a trader, you'll find, you, you know, you just might have to drive a bit further. So, um, so yes, that that's um that's the, the the medical one. Now the next um the next motion is is interesting and um fairly complex, I think, in its nature, which is about increasing access, participation in or expanding participation in local democracy, and this has been brought by Cal Corkery and um that is uh, and Kirsty Meller. Yeah. So uh, two of our Charles Dickens candidates, uh, Charles Dickens councillors, rather. Um, and again, this is a this is a a motion which which um, explores a number of different avenues in terms of basically trying to to get greater engagement um, with local politics. It talks a lot about the the turnouts in the in the different wards across Portsmouth. I know it's something we've focused on every year when we do the. Uh, do the hustings is that you know we we have typically um turnouts in i would say some of the more affluent wards are are 40 percent plus eastern and cranes water topping the tree there um but in perhaps the areas which are considered to be perhaps more deprived or um that participation can drop to under 20 percent so there's also a focus within this motion about um looking at trying to expand increasing democracy to um to people with learning difficulties and yeah i mean when i look at this it, you know for me the the more people that you know engage with local democracy you know the better uh, you know again if we if we didn't believe that we wouldn't be here every sunday evening and running around during the week trying to work out how we're going to fill an hour some weeks um and and so yeah, I mean it it does talk to um um it does also suggest um it mentions the um that there should be virtual hustings, which I think we've been a hello <laughs> hello um. this is a, yes we'd like to put ourselves forward um but one thing I think it it did show us that we we hadn't thought of is you know we tend to do our hustings ward by ward um uh, we've never we haven't until next year um invited all of the local group leaders to come on to a virtual hustings which um which i think based on this motion cheers cal and um kirsty um you you put it down first but we'll um definitely be offering that service for next may's local elections um yeah indeed um we we'd certainly um would like to offer that if um if people would be happy to take it up on it um and indeed we spat we've expanded the the hustings that we've done kind of each year so uh we'd certainly be happy to do them in any ward uh next year where we've got at least two of the candidates willing willing to do it um but certainly leadership is is certainly worth exploring that's that's a that's a good one um uh, yeah so I, th I think this this motion i mean it talks about a lot of worthy things it talks about um, it talks about every citizen um, has the right to take part in local democracy um, and how um, low turnout undermines under, undermines the veracity of our democracy um, and that ver that massive variance from um, between you know one ward and another that, that, that you spoke of and you know fundamentally is it, it, does that mean that the democracy is failing the people in those wards or does that mean that the people in those wards are 
are failing their democracy probably a, a little bit of both and you could if you looked at the figures granularly you could probably figure out that a large portion of the voters in Charles Dickens are actually um transient voters because they're um they're um because the student a lot of the student accommodation um is in Charles Dickens and therefore yep. they may or may not be uh, likely to vote so that might kind of push their to be fair, might push their um, their voter turnout actually down art- artificially. Uh, but from a spe- perspective of, and the motion says that the, the council does some great things and the officers in the council do some great things about encouraging people to register to vote and encouraging participation, but there's more that needs to be done to reach out and engage with people that are digitally disadvantaged or people with learning disabilities or with people with other access restrictions that mean that their ability um, you know, to attend uh, to you know to take part in our democracy but also contribute to it not just at election times um so I, th- I think there's a there's some really really key points here um Lee hunt also mentions about this might possibly be speaking to the upcoming changes to the electoral legislation about the need to reg- you know about the need for ID um to vote and whether that would disadvantage pe- disenfranchise dis- oh, disenfranchise and disadvantage people further that was easy for me to say yep. um so yeah there's certainly some traditionally marginalized and excluded groups anything that can be done to encourage them to take part and actually to be blunt for the elected representatives and for officers at the council to actually listen to what they've got to say is the key thing it's one thing getting them to take part it's another thing to actually listen to and take on board what they're what they're saying because that might not be not be funny they might not be easy things to listen to if they're feeling tremendously failed by uh, by the current system uh, and maybe that's the case but yeah some interesting things there um about reporting back um in this uh for in this municipal year so that's uh, by the uh, by basically the end of uh, the end of well, by May next year, um, to ensure greater access and engagement in local um, and local uh, democracy. So, to me, with my kind of project head on, that should be something that's really easy to track. Of you know what the current level of engagement is, you should be able to then track to see whether it improves by because of the measures that you put in place. Um, and anything that gets more people involved, all the power to it. Whatever that might be, um, I think we should do it. Yeah, I, I think we should. The only the only thing that I kind of raise half an eye, I'm going to raise half an eyebrow on it. Okay. Um, simply because there is an element of of I do wonder whether this motion is actually asking the political parties or asking the council to do the work of the politicians. And the reason why I kind of throw this into the mix, Simon, is that if we look at our near neighbour of Paulsgrove and Port Solent. Paulsgrove and Port Solent typically had a turnout that was pretty pretty similar to Charles Dickens, wasn't it? It was very low, so sort of just over the 20%. And, you know, George Madrick of the Independents in his first year basically did a lot of legwork in Paulsgrove because of the two named bits of the ward the people in Port Solent tended to vote the people in Paulsgrove less so Um, he targeted Paulsgrove very heavily and saw the you know saw the turnout absolutely rocket I mean I I think it went from circa 20% to about I want to say it was nearly mid 30s you know so nearly doubling the turnout because there was an engaging message that people got behind. And I don't want to be too nice to, to George, but there's an element that says if the people if the people looking to be elected can engage through their own means and through whatever whatever message that they're giving, because and again, if I look at Charles Dickens, it has become a, a really strong Labour, you know, it's a Labour stronghold now. It, it's got the monopoly all three are red. You know, so they can build hotels or student accommodation on there. I think that's how it works. Um, but there's this element that if if any other party was able to go in and put concerted effort into the Charles Dickens ward, you actually don't have to motivate many people to turn out to 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 change the colour of Charles Dickens from red to any other colour. So I do I do wonder whether there is. Whilst I think everything in here is noble and we should be doing it, um, I guess my question is, is that the job of the political parties to 
to to offer those people who now don't bother to vote something to motivate them to to get out and do it um yeah i, I don't know how it wouldn't be there um part of, you know basically something that they're invested in and interested in i think um obviously political parties are going to want other more people to want to vote for them whether they're existing registered voters or registered yep. but not voting voters um but at the end of the day um i can't speak universally but our democracy is is sounder when more people take part regardless of how they vote even yep. whether whether i whether whether they whether how they vote um is the same you know is is a is a different way than i would vote or opposing but that's just how democracy works and you've got to Decisions are made by those who turn up, as the, as the saying goes. And I just think that um, at the end of the day, if you if you don't take part, even if you are, as, as um, again, as, as Lee Hunt says, even if you are actually happy with what's going on, if you don't turn up and vote, then you risk actually turning the decision over to the people that do turn up and vote a different way and might actually um upset perhaps the things that are actually working so either way whether you're happy or unhappy vote um because that's the that's the only legitimate way to change things and it's the you know it's this brilliant ability that we have uh, you know or in our case three out of every four years we've got this ability to fundamentally change uh change the the makeup of our local council and change how our how our cities run so let's do that because it's certainly better than any of the alternatives it might it's not perfect but it, it's better than the than the other options. But anything that's gonna, I worry about anything that's gonna risk disenfranchising and alienating people any further. And anything the council and political parties can do, it should be great to me. I'd want to see um, political parties are great good at setting up streets street stalls. To me, I'd set them up in the middle of areas where there are low voting turnouts. Have a stall for every party there. And basically, so here we are. Come and speak to us. We'll tell you what we're about. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, there's the... and and then basically have someone from the council there, regardless of whether whether a particular political party has um, has convinced some convinced someone that they're worthy of that that um, that resident support. But then there's someone from the council there ready to register someone to vote if they're not already registered to vote. I think anything that they could be doing, if there anything, if anything desperately needs doing, that needs to be cross party. This is what this is one of the things, or perhaps that because of that nature, that's why you know the council officers have to do it because it needs to be seen to be non-partisan. But in that respect, you quite often hear from the conversations that I. <laughs> that was just a cat. Yes, moving its, moving its tail over your microphone. Yes, but it was. the people that I speak to that say, "Oh, I, I never bother to vote because I don't know who to vote for." Um, well, okay, well then let's fix that. Let's let's yep. get them in contact with the people that showed, should, can show them what the different party's about without the point scoring and the snarkiness so that they can make a decision as to who deserves their vote. Let, let's, let's do that. Maybe, maybe I'm naive. I don't know. Absolutely. Time is moving on. The cat is warning us. Yes. We've got three more to get through. Yes. So um, the next one was reinstating the shareholder um, committee. So interestingly, and this one was from Scott Peter Harris and um, and uh, Councillor Brent um, the, to basically. Um, so the shareholder committee essentially is meant to exist to oversee and advise uh, the cabinet and the council on the operations of the of the companies that that the council owns yep. or partly owns. Um, and apparently the shareholder committee, when they um, when they met last, they decided that they weren't needed and disbanded themselves. Um, I personally, considering that the administration can change yep, um, and that the leadership of the council can change, I think there's a benefit in there being some sort of continuity and involvement in um, it, it, of all of the parties actually being rep and and the non-party uh, representation with it within the council because at the end of the day the shareholders aren't the council the shareholders are the people of Portsmouth and yep. therefore they need to be fully respected not just the administration so I'd like to see that um, you know I, I think this is this makes sense to me um, I think that's perfectly understandable that that should be there and maybe some of the mysteries around uh, around some of the company dealings that keep seem to come up as political footballs you know, depending on which party you talk to or listen to, they'll talk about Victory Energy. They'll talk about, um, you know, the you know the examples of other kind of um, council companies or or things. But at the end of the day, if these things are out in the open and these decisions are made openly with a consensus of 
the representatives of the shareholders all in agreement of a particular way that a particular company is going, um, then to me that then doesn't become a political issue or something that ends up on a leaflet of these people did this with all your money and didn't tell you they're liars. Yep, and I think you're, you're spot on. And the more I thought about this, if you're a registered charity, you have to have a board of trustees which oversees the board, the you know the executive. If you're a you know if you're a listed company, then your shareholders. There's an annual general meeting. Um, but what we seem to have here is effectively the the PCC are almost like a you know like a private owner um, that has effective you know over they're the only people with oversight so no i think in the this seems to make perfect sense and i'm i'm slightly confused as to why the shareholder committee sat themselves but um maybe that'll come out in the wash maybe maybe so indeed but in the interest of time now civic offices offices yeah um ryan brent and uh lee mason um now, this is one, again, it's my own team, but um, this was mired in political speak. And if you started reading it, um, you might have been thinking that the spirit of Jacob Rees-Mogg was upon it, um, suggesting that all of the people should be coming back to the office and working jolly bloody hard because we know the slackers are doing nothing at home. But actually, if you read it through, it, it kind of makes sense. It's, a, it's saying that the civic offices, pre-pandemic, full of a lot of people, doing council work post pandemic you know most people now are working in what the the catchphrase i think is a in a blended way which is that they are working you know sometimes in the office but sometimes at home probably with the balance being more at home than in the office so what we've got now is a portsmouth civic office is building um that we are paying to maintain and to keep watertight and all of those good things and heated and lit um, but there are many fewer people in the building now so there is a question around well what should we be doing in response because it, it feels like there is an acceptance that we're not going to go back to forcing everybody to commute into the office every day yeah I, I must admit when I when I first looked at this I thought this was echoes of Jacob Rees-Mogg basically saying everybody should be back into the office people should be back into the office or well, this sort of stuff um but actually when you read into it it's not just saying that it's actually saying aren't there concerns about people being in the right place to serve uh, to serve the residents of Portsmouth because there are some front facing roles that need uh, you know facing in person obviously you can work from home if you're if you're dealing with queries over the phone for example but yep. you can't do that at a counter um, so there are some examples but the truth is the world has changed covid has perhaps accelerated this and it's a realistic expectation that if we do not need that all of that office space anymore just like lots of other large organizations then we should probably start having a reasonable conversation about what else we do with the that space yep whether whether it's rented out whether it's redeveloped um you know it's probably in prime you know prime location for if you were going to commute to london or you know um probably halls of residence or exactly you know anything like that or whatever those uses might be but from that perspective um again to me sounds like a sounds like an entirely reasonable question to ask of are we working in the best way possible and does our use of assets reflect that the the basically the the new normal yeah i and, and i think you are spot on with the you know it is that element of 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 recognizing that that the world has changed and um you know in light of that there are much more efficient and effective ways to run your business um, than have lots and lots of empty offices that are not getting any younger. So, um, no, this one, uh, hopefully this one gets through. And that brings us neatly on to, I think, the final motion of the list. Penultimate. Penultimate, there are two. Yeah, Park Homes. We oh, Park quick. Right, Park can, Homes, can... very quickly, and I'll save you blushes on this one. Park Homes... You know, caravan park, uh, mobile homes. Um, for some reason, the Lib Dem put a 10% sales tax on people selling their homes. Then they've said, ah, oh, no, no, no. Um, after a massive furore, as there should have been, it only applies to new people who buy them. They, they'll only pay the 10% when they sell them. This is going to make the council no money at all. You know, it could be another 30, 40 years before people start so you know 10 years five years 10 years whatever 
um, this is a stupid decision. It penalises a group of people who are, let's face it, at the lower end of the property market. So, look, at this point, would you please just hold your hands up and say, sorry, we got this wrong and reverse it? Yeah, to me, this kind of, um, I don't see how this meets the balance of political pain versus benefit ratio because yep. any benefit that's going to be is not actually going to be that big and isn't going to come for like 10 15 years and all of the pain is now uh, and if anything all it seems to have done is given the Tories something to campaign on in Eastney and Cosham so um yeah I, and I rightly don't, so I don't see it's, it. it's, it's you know it is a hideous yeah. own goal by the by the Lib Dems and and my hope is you know and it just seems such an you know, an unlib dem policy. I don't, uh, you know, again, I don't know whether somebody had a cheese dream or, or what went on, but it, it's wrong. Stop it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> and finally, I'm going to let you cover this one because this one's, uh, uh, it, it, there's 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 nuances and complexities. And this is another one that gets the, the, uh, the Pompey Politics podcast stamp of, oh, leave the bloody political speak out and get to the point of what it is you're asking for because that's good and your rhetoric isn't yeah uh, i mean listeners will note that we tend to strip that as out when we're talking it because we get to the actually what the policy is rather than talking about the political speak uh within it because everybody likes to score points but that's not necessarily how you win the game um i'm sure there's a there's a motto about that but anyway so this uh, this motion from um judy smythe and from graham heaney um, talks about the cost of living crisis and about basically as rising energy costs uh, bear down on people in winter with the you know as would have been covered um, at length in the in the um, cost of living motion um, earlier on um, basically what the what the what this calls on the council to do is to work with local community groups um, to develop a list of perhaps suitable premises that can for daytime use uh, be publicised as places where people that perhaps can't afford to heat their own homes can go to to get warm this winter. And, um, and, and for me, this, this and again, it's interesting this one came last and I really do hope that by the time they get to it, everybody hasn't lost the will to live. Because I think this actually speaks to quite a number of the motions that are on the, that are, go before it. You know, what it's what it's talking to for me is about community hubs and it's talking about it's talking about social isolation. You know, and again, as we just picking out some of the motions that we've been through, you know, we spoke about Hillsey Community Centre. We've spoken about, you know, well, we need the bank because, you know, people might be, you know, they, they want to do these things in person because they're digitally isolated. You know, well, there is an element of you're never too old to, to learn how to use a tablet. You know, we, we're talking about the cost of living crisis. Well, you know, ultimately a warm place is a warm place. You know, we've talk, spoken about the civic offices and people working from home. You know, I like to think I was a trendsetter back in 2018 where I worked from home full time. And I'll be honest with you, I found it very socially isolating. By the time everybody had left at half eight, there would be nobody until half five, six o'clock. It was just me and my dog. So the idea of creating community spaces which are warm and welcoming and inviting, we'll go back to that motion on, you know, increasing voter participation. You know, again, I, I see nothing but good in this motion if we can strip away the, well, we wouldn't have to bloody have one if the Tories were... If we can strip that away... Creating thriving community hubs where people who are elderly or with young children or working from home or, you know, from those disenfranchised and marginalised groups, if they can come together and be warm as a community, what's not to like? Um, I, I find it hard to disagree with any of that, so I'm, um, I'm not going to. Um, so, yes, there are lots of uh, council premises that w will be open. I guess the the difference here is what's being called for is warm and welcoming uh, spaces for people to basically go and spend some time in. So perhaps a slight kind of a slight change in their and then perhaps their current use model yep. um, that probably wouldn't you know I, I don't think would actually involve that kind of that much investment really. But from a perspective of actually, if anything, 
one thing we've learned from the COVID situation is that communities will support each other and there's a strong community spirit um, in the city and you know these community organizations uh, whether they are council run or run by a third party um, I, I can see them quite easily being really really up for this um, I, I think it's a good idea um, and if I'm really honest I, th I think otherwise by August the, the, the government are going to be asking councils to form this list anyway so we might as well do it now absolutely so on that bombshell where i have spoke passionately in agreement with a labor motion we've got through all 11 it's 1827 and you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast i've been ian tiny morris and i've been simon sansbury so join us next week uh, where we'll have a roundup of the full council meeting so we'll invite on some councillors once they've recovered from their marathon um hot evening in the full council chamber but join us next week the 627 on sunday for our last show before we also take a summer break uh for august thank you for listening to this episode of the pompey politics podcast if you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live. We normally broadcast live 6.27 p.m. on a Sunday evening. Then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>